Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. So I'm going to start. Uh, there's a there's a refrain. Those of you who know it, you can sing along, and then I sing uh, I sing a um, a verse, and then we'll go back to you, and then we'll do the verse just to get us focused. You're the cause of all creation. You're the wonder that we see. Nothing can exist without you. Splendid spark in all that be. Of lights you are the radiant sun. Of stars you are the moon. Of pure fires you are the mighty wind, of seasons you are the spring. You're the cause of all creation, you're the wonder that we see. Nothing can exist without you. Splendid spark in all that be. You're the soul in every body, inner guide and dearest friend. You are all pervading beauty. Gracious love that never ends. You're the cause of all creation. You're the wonder that we see. Nothing can exist without you. Splendid spark in all that be. You're the perfect taste in water and the fragrance of the earth. You're the poetry in music, cause of everlasting mirth. You're the cause of all creation. You're the wonder that we see. Nothing can exist without you. Splendid spark in all that be. So, again, welcome for those of you who have joined while we were singing uh, to the Sunday talk. This is a new experience for our community and also for me, so uh, bear with us. The talk is entitled, Every Species, I have a little blurb there, Every Species Huddles Close as a Means of Physical Survival. It is a me-first mentality based on fear. What separates humans from animals is our willingness to care about others, a natural outgrowth of spiritual awareness. So today we're going to focus on the art and the science of social connecting, particularly in troubling times. That's a big topic. We probably won't get through all of it, but I wanted just to lift up some points. 
So um, during this time where we have been given this instruction to distance ourselves, I have been reflecting personally on um, how I'm not just my physical body, but that I'm an eternal, joyful being who is actually full of knowledge. And this is particularly important uh, to me at a time like this when the world is telling us of all the risks involved in uh, having close interpersonal contact. Um, so much of the rhetoric, rhetoric is based on fear, and for good reason, too, because on the platform of our bodies, we have many limitations. So, and, and this disease piece that we're experiencing now is one of the four limitations and the four, one of the four sufferings of human life. Like we take birth, we grow old, we get diseased, and then we die. And, and there's nothing we can do to stop these uh, sufferings because that's what it means to live in a material body. So in this pandemic uh, that we're experiencing right now, we can't help but be confronted again and again with our own mortality, something we tend to try and forget about as best we can. <laughs> it's always been true that we could die anyway at any time, even before the COVID virus shows up. This has been a fact of our life always. But uh, somehow or other, um, it, now that it's an international crisis and uh, we're, we're very much aware of the dangers, the possibility of our imminent death seems to be much greater than it was before, even though uh, none of us know and have ever known when we're going to die. So naturally we're frightened uh, because it becomes now really personal. Uh, I could be the next one to die or one of my family members could be one of the people who die next or friend. Um, so it's very much in the forefront of our minds. How can I survive? How can I ensure that my loved ones survive? And we can become really caught up in the struggle for survival uh, that we forget uh, that we are part of a larger, larger social network who is also struggling to survive. Uh, and we can forget that we are all dependent on each other for our own safety and well-being, which is why it's really important to abide by some of these rules of isolation because uh, we may also contaminate other people and cause them to uh, perhaps die prematurely. So, uh, although we might be practicing social distancing, we need to continue to strive for spiritual connection in order to help ourselves and help everyone in the, everyone else in the world. Uh, as a chaplain, I used to uh, visit patients sometimes who had been uh, had a, a brain surgery, and they have woken up and they're paralyzed from the neck down and they will be permanently paralyzed for the rest of their life. And um, often they would say to me, now that I'm paralyzed from the neck down, I'm living in a, a hell of isolation and I wish I had died on the operating table rather than live this horrible life of social isolation. And when I would hear this, I would be really challenged to think what it what it might feel like 
for such a person who was suffering such a hell, like being imprisoned in their uh, paralyzed body for the rest of their life. Um, as a devotee, I started thinking deeply how such a person laying in the bed uh, in a paralyzed state were actually not their physical body, but deep down uh, their essential self was a perfect, pure, spiritual being, despite the physical physical situation they were in. And I asked myself, so how might I connect with and minister to their true self, uh, which is limited by their reality, uh, physical reality, or is not limited? How do, how do I get past this consciousness or concept or, or vision of them as their paralyzed body and address who they really are? as a uh, perfect, pure spiritual being. So as a result of my pondering on this, I started creating a guided meditation to help paralyzed persons experience themselves as an unlimited spiritual being that's not really confined by their body or material circumstance. Um, I would start by having them close their eyes and I'd ask them to fix their mind on a favorite place that they may have used to go to in a in a nature natural environment, someplace they like to relax and have fun. Um, and if they didn't have a favorite place, sometimes I would just have them imagine themselves sitting underneath a beautiful tree on a sunny day. If they described, if they would actually describe to me uh, one of their favorite places that they used to like to go in nature, I would create a guided meditation and take them on a journey. Uh, inviting them to notice the sights and the smells and the feeling of the fresh air and the looking up at the sky and seeing the clouds just all in their mind. I would play some soft music in the background, and while they would go on this mental journey, I would use my voice to guide them on this journey. I'd have them pause sometimes on this mental journey and experience the freedom that the vehicle of their mind could actually give them. And after some time, maybe 15, 20 minutes, I'd have them come back into their physical body or into their physical external consciousness, come back and ask them, what was that like for you to have gone out into this other space? And every single one of them said that they realized that they weren't really a prisoner of their body and that they could go anywhere they wanted to go uh, using their mind. Uh, that even though their body was paralyzed, their mind was actually free. So this was a great breakthrough for me in ministering to people like that because, in fact, uh, the mind is a vehicle, and uh, it carries our soul to our next destination. In fact, Prabhupada uh, describes how at the moment of death, the soul is transported from one body to the next on the vehicle of our mind. And this is true while we're still in our bodies. Whatever our mind is fixed upon, that that will take us there. We will go there. And we can even trace back uh, how we got to our present circumstance uh, simply by tracing back what were the choices. How did our mind 
what came into our mind that created the choices to bring us to where we are. So in the same way that this paralyzed woman saw her new reality as an opportunity to explore her consciousness, all of us who are experiencing this uh, our, our response to the coronavirus, the social isolation, can use it or choose to use it as an opportunity for greater spiritual connection. Now, animals, uh, they also have something to teach us in terms of the power of thought and connection through sound vibration. For example, elephants, uh, they have a great sense of hearing and they can send vocalizations long distance. Um, sometimes it's so far that humans can't even hear it. It's just so subtle. But other elephants can hear it. They can communicate in a low rumble that can travel as far as six miles and can pick up messages from others through their feet. Uh, other animals have their own unique ways of communicating with each other through sound vibrations that may be completely inaudible to the human ear. For example, often dogs, uh, they can hear high-pitched sounds or low-pitched sounds that human ears cannot hear. So such uh, subtle energy communication is commonly known as telepathy, which is just a fancy way of saying we can feel and hear each other over distance. So nowadays uh, we have energy healers, different kinds, uh, who can send healing energy across time and space, and that it has a healing effect on the persons who receive that energy. And they've they've even uh, they've even done tests on rabbits, where you have a mother rabbit who's residing in a place in America, and they take they they take the baby rabbits and they put them in some place like Siberia, and somehow they test uh, the communication that the mother what what is going on to the mother rabbit is somehow picked up and perceived by the baby rabbits. I don't know how they do this, but it can only be in the same energy wavelength like we do Internet and we do phones. Somehow or other around the world, we can communicate on this energetic wave. Um, because uh, And because this energy of a body of a person can be accessed anywhere at any time, it, it isn't limited by time or space. And so, therefore, a healing energy healer can can heal people on the other side of the globe uh, without treating their physical body. Um, and basically, the way it works is that uh, an energy healing healer may send positive energy to the person they want to help. And I'm sure I'm oversimplifying that. Um, but my point is that there is there is uh, to be a caring helper to others. We are not limited to our physical bodies. So we also know um, from Srila Prabhupada that we can also send out negative energy that can harm other people. Uh, I remember being in, in Mayapur and learning that Prabhupada was warning us to be careful when we'd go into Navadvip because uh, there were there were tantrics who were envious of the Hare Krishna movement and were sending out uh, harmful harmful. I don't know what you call it, voodoo or, or uh, thoughts or I don't know if they were puncturing ne- uh, needles into d- dolls or whatever, but they were uh, trying to harm us through the power of thought. So 
The power of sending and receiving energy messages from others is commonly called telepathy, which is a universal language that humans and animals speak to one another. And uh, telepathic communication is an ability we are born with, all of us, humans and animals, but due to our socialization as humans and the distractions uh, and the use of our spoken word, we lose our awareness and sensitivity to other living beings on such a subtle level. There is a woman, maybe some of you know, uh, named Helen Keller, very famous woman, who was born deaf, dumb, and blind. And as she grew up, she was able to see the color of flowers and describe the sky due to her telepathic abilities. I know from uh, talking to deaf people that they have a different sense. When they hear, it's, when deaf people, it's not like they don't hear but they can, the sound, for example, of the wind is like the sound of a cello. It's not the same way we hear. They, they hear with their bodies through vibration. Um, and so uh, it's explained by experts in tele- telepathy that we can gain our visualization skills by deep meditation and spiritual focus, as we've seen some from some of the examples in our Vaishnava Acharyas, you know, there's there there's history to show that some of our uh, Gaudiya Vaishnava Acharyas have have been very clairvoyant. They've known when you've showed up. I think Prabhupada was clearly aware of a lot of things that we were not aware that he was aware of through this sensitivity and this subtle awareness, uh, to, being tuned into himself and others. Now Christians, they have, uh, they engage in something called intercessory prayer. And they use that, they, they call it that because you're praying on behalf of a person who's in need, uh, or you're, you could call it, if you're not a Christian or you're not a theist, you might call it sending positive energy or thoughts, uh, to those you're concerned about. It's a conscious, intentional action to send well wishes for their safety, well-being, and happiness. And uh, so Krishna Bhaktas, we also understand that the essence of who we are is spiritual energy. It's called Chaitana, or living force. And so in our purified state, we are not limited by the confines of our gross physical bodies. So right now, in a time when we might seem to be stuck or imprisoned in our bodies, there is much we can do to help one another during this time of social distancing. For example, the first the first place to start in getting connected is connecting with ourself because the super soul who is in the heart of ourself, the core of our heart, he's in the heart of all living beings. So we can make a very intentional point to chant deeply a minimum of 16 rounds, perhaps more of the holy name because perhaps we have more time uh, to maybe try to bump up our chanting to 25, 32 rounds, uh, and just see how we feel, just to make an experiment. Um, and if you don't have chanting beats, then you can try to chant anyway. Uh, just try to listen. Sometimes people cup their ear and listen and completely focus on the sound vibration of the Hare Krishna mantra. Um, and then just keep chanting until your mind is completely aligned with your soul. Uh, and you'll know when this is happening, when your mind starts to, instead of chattering, as it starts to calm down and tune in to listening to the sound vibration of the holy name, you will start to see that it's no longer 
separate. It's, it's listening to the vibration and you will start to feel really grounded and you, you forget completely about everything around you. And another symptom will be is that you don't want to stop chanting because you're experiencing uh, the joy of being grounded in yourself. So when we vibrate such a purifying sound, it definitely has an impact on all the living beings around us, the human beings, the animals, the plants. And the more we chant, the more we support our, our immune system, but also the immune system of the planet that is really struggling right now. Um, if we think of Mother Earth as being a, an organism, then we have to think in terms of her immune system. And we're all part of the creatures who are living on the organism of Mother Nature or the Mother Earth or Gaia. And so we can really help support the immune system by spiritual sound vibration. Um, Not only that, chanting the holy name also clears our whole energy system, which is known as the chakra system, and it it strengthens and vitalizes our physical bodies as well as our spiritual bodies. And this will greatly enhance our resilience to the coronavirus. And uh, because Krishna is in the heart of all living beings, he, from within not only our heart but in the hearts of all others, will inspire good guidance to ourselves and those who receive the transcendental sound vibration. Um, we're putting it into the environment. They will, they will start to make choices that will benefit themselves and others. Even if they aren't, devotees aren't aware that you're chanting, uh, or even know that you're a devotee, it will have an incredibly powerful effect. Once we feel grounded by chanting and getting connected with the Lord in our hearts, um, we can start to visualize uh, those in our circle of care, for example, ISKCON community members, our friends, our family members, and extend that thought process out into the creator community, beyond the Vaishnava community. We can go to our neighbors, our towns, our cities, our states, our countries, and our world. And after visualizing all these personalities that we are in, we really care about, we can start to send loving prayers that Krishna will hold them in his loving arms, inspire them to grow ever closer to him during this troubling time and keep them safe from spiritual and material harm. So we know that the word Krishna means the all attractive one. And the most attractive feature of Krishna or God is that he loves us unconditionally, no matter what our situation is. Even if it happens so that we end up dying from a virus or something else, we have to know that Krishna is present with us and that our soul will be transferred on the platform of mind to Krishna's destination. So even if we are, are praying for people who aren't devotees yet, they will benefit from our prayers. So this is a great service that we can do in the comfort of our own home. Uh, there are there are nuns and priests who take vows of contempl- like contemplative vows who never leave their uh, convent or monastery, and their whole practice is praying for the world, praying for other people, and people send them prayers. There's a there's a community out in Kansas called. Uh, unity. They aren't, uh, they're like post-Christian movement. 
and they also read Bhagavad Gita, but they also read Quran and they take knowledge from all scriptures. But they have a kind of a, uh, a chalice, a huge chalice in their place of worship where people from all over the world, they call in and they uh, have a prayer. I've done it myself. It's very, very powerful. If you have a need or you are, um, you're anxious about something and you want a whole bunch of people to pray because we know in all world religions that wherever two or more are gathered in prayer or song and glorification of the Lord, God invokes or, or incarnates in that sound. So, but they will pray. They, people will call in, they write it down, they will pray with you on the phone, and then they will put it in this chalice. And then they have a team of people 24-7 who are praying on behalf of you and your prayers. It is super powerful. Um, so we can do that. We can sit, and if we, we are afraid or we're bored or we feel disconnected, there's nothing more connecting than sending are connecting uh, through your power of thought and prayer for other folks uh, who so need them right now. Um, We can also physically call people up, call uh, people up on the phone that we see at the temple that uh, we never have time to talk to. We don't know their stories. We don't know their histories. If there's a, I don't know if there's a list uh, of of people uh, where we can get from our local community. Um, but this is how chaplains now who are not always able to visit patients in the hospital, they're moving to telephones and Skype and FaceTime and, and connecting that way. In fact, uh, my, my chaplain training program, Karuna Care Education is starting in a few weeks and all the devotees who are on enrolled in that will be uh, doing their practicum by just calling up people and listening to their stories, not just their anxieties about coronavirus, but let's get to know each other. Let's let's uh, tell me your story. You know how how did you how did you get interested in Krishna consciousness? What were you doing before? What was it that uh, you know changed your heart and turned turned your life around? And what are some of the inspiring stories and insights you've gotten lately from? Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam. Wonderful way to uh, use this time. If you are laid off or you, you, it can't go out, it's just pick up the phone, schedule a Skype or WhatsApp and get to know the people that you just never have time to do. Um, you could also schedule time. I know devotees are already doing this all over the world, scheduling times to do kirtan and reading. We had a wonderful sangha yesterday, 34 people arrived on Zoom, our Vaishnava Sangha, and it was wonderful uh, to have people Zooming in and uh, discussing uh, what's going on in our lives and uh, reflecting on Krishna together. Um, finally, and this is kind of off topic, but it, it occurred to me this morning to, to perhaps say this today. Uh, I know that some of us may be uh, really anxious about how are we going to uh, maintain ourselves, pay our rent, and uh, take care of our families if we don't have a job. And not all of us have a, a large savings and income that we can um, we can depend on. And so, uh, I know that's a cause for a concern for a lot of people. Um, you know, how are we going to survive? And I came across this wonderful verse uh, in the Madhya Lila that inspired me so much. I probably will try to memorize it. It's it's a bit big. It's a commentary uh, that Prabhupada wrote 
um, uh, after the story of Murgari the Hunter. It's in Chaitanya Charitamrita Madhya Leela uh, uh, chapter 24, text 257. If you don't know that story, please uh, treat yourself to reading it. And um, anyway, Prabhupada is explaining that um, there was this hunter who was killing animals for a living. And um, Narada Muni found him in the forest and uh, and he convinced him that what he was doing was was evil and that he should give it up. But his anxiety uh, after Narada Muni told him, you better break your bow and give up this animal killing for the rest of your life. And the, the hunter said to Narada Muni, but how will I maintain myself? I mean, that's how I make my money to... Um, support my family and myself. How can I maintain myself? And Narada Muni said to him, do not worry. I will supply all your food every day. And Prabhupada comments something very relevant for us today. The source of our income is not actually the source of our maintenance. Every living being, from the great Brahma down to an insignificant ant, is being maintained by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Eko bohunam yo vidadati kaman. The one Supreme Being, Krishna, maintains everyone. Our so-called source of income is our own choice only. If I wish to be a hunter, it will appear that hunting is the source of my maintenance. If I become a brahmana and completely depend on Krishna, I do not conduct a business but nonetheless my maintenance is supplied by Krishna the hunter was disturbed about breaking his bow because he was worried about his income Narada Muni assured the hunter because he knew that the hunter was not being maintained by the bow but by Krishna being the agent of Krishna Narada Muni knew very well that the hunter would not suffer by breaking the bow there was no doubt that Krishna would supply them food. Such a reassuring insight from our founder, Srila Prabhupada, that although we may think that our jobs or our husbands or the stock market is supplying our money, the reality is that Krishna is the source of our livelihood and that it doesn't really matter what work we do in the material world. Our maintenance will be provided if we take shelter of the Supreme Lord. So, I want to stop here. I'm aware of the time. It gives us a little time to discuss. Uh, you all are on mute. Please, if you want to speak, unmute yourself. Uh, I may be able to do that for you, but uh, you you want to speak. Let's let's just hear what were you thinking? What insights did you get as you were hearing me talk? Um, what reflections have you got? What questions might you you have, let's discuss this a little bit because the topic becomes far more sweet when we discuss. So unmute yourself and speak so everyone, don't just give me a chat. Uh, you want to, you want to unmute and speak so everyone can hear you. Are you all here? Can you hear me? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Yeah, thank you, Mati, for a nice uh, session. I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, a short reflection. Uh, I really like the fact that you shared, which is uh, 
we really can uh, send loving prayers to anyone uh, irrespective of the physical space where they are in uh, and that way we can positively influence and help them like that that is the main thing i liked from your session today yeah. thank you and, um, so the question is uh, yeah, here is how i understood it maybe you can confirm or uh, correct it then uh, following that uh, question so i understood like uh, first we need to connect to ourselves uh, through chanting properly uh, and then once we see the strength and uh, feel fully grounded through that through that then uh, we can extend uh, to others that's how i understood you were explaining is this the right understanding yes yes it starts from in- inside out inside out because krishna says armed with yoga stand and fight we have to, we don't just stand and fight right we have to be armed with yoga first Our, yoga just means to link first to connect with ourselves we can't do anything until we do that first we have no power to do anything or to help anyone unless we're first grounded in our connection with krishna in our own hearts so we start there first get get completely saturated and satiated with hearing and chanting yourself and then krishna also from within the heart will give you insight how to how to spill over or to share all that love and energy and and uh, connection with others and who to connect with you know you might make a general prayer to the whole planet because the planet really needs it but there may be specific people in your world who are struggling right now with anxiety or or concern about their money or whatever you know so start with your your heart yeah thank you mate thank you someone else what's your takeaway that's that's a question if you don't have a question what what uh did you hear today uh, that might be useful to you or that you might actually do when you get off the call that might be helpful to you this is shamala priya mm-hmm. and i just wanted to share that it's so soothing and wonderful to hear you speak oh thank you and it really inspired me um to maybe this up- upcoming week to speak a little bit more in in that soothing way that you're speaking with the uh, um children and families that I work with and that how you find a way to make it very relevant and not just krishna consciousness based but um coming from the heart and a place of understanding our real identity and who our maintainer is so for me it's just very inspiring and I'm looking forward to trying out um sharing some of the things that you've shared with us Can you can you name a couple things that might might be useful to you in your work with children? Um well I guess I was thinking a little bit more with the adults, the parents because mm-hmm. it's the parents that I'm finding are the ones that are really stressed out and the kids yeah. are just kind of hanging out and happy to be home. Yeah. So I appreciated what you um spoke about uh, or what Prabhupada said about our occupations that were really provided by for, um by Krishna and to to let go of some of our fears and to to take shelter and through that process of taking shelter we will increasingly feel that um protection 
and being provided for. Yes. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know in the, in Christianity, they have a wonderful verse that, that the birds of the air, you know, they are clothed and they get their food. How much more will the heavenly father take for you who are my servants? Um, and dedicated, uh, devotees. And so it may be that you're talking to someone who isn't really, who doesn't have faith in Krishna, but, uh, the, they may have faith that the world is a benevolent, benevolent place, like the earth planet itself. When we look out, even in spite of all of this, the daffodils are popping out and the, the cherry blossoms and the apple blossoms and spring is still coming, you know. Krishna is still providing all this beauty that life, life is, is still going on even amidst all this drama. And uh, often when I meet, uh, and I've probably said this before at a Potomac Temple lecture, but I I always go back to that uh, when I visit hospital patients who are homeless, and there are many in Los Angeles, um, and they're being, they need the bed, so they're they're discharging them before they're ready, which causes them a lot of anxiety. And um, and they want to, they don't know what to do. And I, as a chaplain, I can't, directly proselytize I can't say well you just chant Hare Krishna be happy I can't do that but I I tell them that the universe is benevolent and if we call out with deep uh, feeling help uh, the universe will respond in a in a different way than it would if you don't and and that gives them an incredible amount of power or empowerment and hope. And in fact, they do do it. They will then, after I leave, they will they will close their eyes and they will call out, you know, to the universe as a person. Or uh, is there someone out there? Help me. And uh, and and when I go back the next day, their life has shifted in a different way. You know, somebody will come forward, say they can stay another week or or uh they found them a rehab center or i mean it, it life shifts when we call out for help and that's one of the things we don't do enough is we cry for help we are so eager to be self-sufficient and do it on our own not being aware that there is a living being out there that is dynamic he's a person and he actually reciprocates with our crying out so some people are kind of impersonal so they may call god uh, uh the universe or life or something but still uh in order to attract hearts towards him krishna will respond mm-hmm. he promises it in so many verses in Srimad bhagavatam and bhagavad gita so that's a, a little trick anything else thank you for that comment what other thoughts will you take with you today Anything. Um, Hare Krishna. This is uh, Kishori Radha. Uh, I really appreciated what you said about um, connecting with our own self. So kind of like a spillover of a personal ecstasy from mm. hearing and chanting ourselves and saturating ourselves with it. Um, just as an observation, I've noticed sometimes that in conversations, devotees tend to offer advice. And um, sometimes... It's a lot of advice. And so, <laughs> uh, how do you connect with someone, um, without really giving advice? Um, you know, they're, they're coming to you and I'm not, you're not certain if they're asking for advice or not. And I'm never certain if they are. So if you could speak a little bit about that. 
Yes, this is the bane of our arrogance. It's it's too bad. It's it's a it's a habit we have that I know better than you. And of course you don't know better than anybody else because you're not in their circumstance. And uh Krishna has a very personal way of guiding us and it may not be it may not be through the mouths of other people, but sometimes there's a nugget of truth that we can take. And, and in our own humility, they may be coming forward as a, as an agent of Krishna and, and saying something that seems really inappropriate and it hits you like, ah, yeah, and, and you want to just throw it off and, you know, your hackles get up. I've had that experience where your hackles get up and you're like, how, who do you think you are to tell me that? And, and what do you know? But then I have to think, okay, not a blade of grass moves without the sanction of the Supreme. Krishna allowed it. Somebody showed up and said something and was in your face and uh, maybe there was a, a nugget. It may not have been the way they delivered it, but there might have been a nugget of truth or insight that you could use. Uh, you know, it might have been even just to, to realize, gosh, I'm really on the false ego platform that I'm annoyed at that person instead of seeing, okay, accepting their their share as a, an act of care. Some people, when they offer advice, they're... Uh, they're actually trying to care. They just don't have a really good technique and skill at doing it. You know, we don't have much training in interpersonal skills. So sometimes in our effort to care, it comes out sideways and it, you know, it, it hurts the person rather than helps them. But at the same time, my tact is, is to try to not defend myself because defending is an animal propensity. And, and to try to be curious where the question comes from. So someone may, or where the, you know, that's interesting that you should say that. What would inspire you to say that right now? And then, then you might get more information from them why they felt concerned. And perhaps the conversation can turn into something more heart connecting than just, uh, advice giving because that's a, uh, adults don't want to hear that. Children don't want to hear that. that. Now you're going to wag fingers and tell uh, people who are sick. Typically, hundred people are going to give them their cure. You know, if you just take that tea, if you take that herb, if you go to that doctor, this is going to help you. But people don't. That doesn't help. Everybody has to find their way. At the same time, it can be a good exercise in in learning to be humble and not defending ourselves and putting ourselves forward and. Uh, I think that pays off. Prabhupada, Prabhupada used to say that in order to humble a puffed up person, the way to do it is to be more humble than them. And I've had that happen to me when I've been arrogant and advising where other person go, oh, thank you so much. You know, thank you. They accept it as a garland on their hair. Thank you so much. And I walk away and super soul is telling me, remember that was really, that was really arrogant for you to say that. What? You know, I'm, 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 I'm hitting myself from the inside because Krishna from within my heart helps me see that, you know, I, I have, uh, that person was so humble and if it had been me, I would have been defensive and sassy and, and something like that. So it's always best to take the humble position and let Krishna protect us rather than, um, defending ourselves. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. Yeah. Got some time and more comments as insights. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. I didn't hear the whole lecture, but I got the tail of it, and it was refreshing to hear you reassuring oh, that you. Will <laughs> take care of us. Um, 
because the anxiety is very natural, you know, um, we identify with our way of getting an income and think, oh, I'm the doer, but we aren't really, really. Um, and it reminded me of my mom because she has a similar attitude to what you were talking about. She's like, oh, Krishna will provide it. It's okay. Whenever I need something, somehow or other it comes. And she has that faith. Um, and I think, God, I wish I had more of that. <laughs> I think it comes with a lot of a lot of uh, pain and a lot of uh, long life. You just start to see, oh, you really aren't in control. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah, and also I just was thinking that you know what you said then in answer to someone else about the chaplain being a chaplain and how you assure people who are homeless. Because that, that was my next question. Well, well, what about all the people who really have nothing and you, it looks like they're pretty destitute. They don't really look like they're being so well taken care of. Nobody wants to find themselves in a situation like that. So then you talking about, you know, well, uh, when you cry out, like, and you really ask for help, then it makes a difference. Now that, was reassuring to hear. Well, know. not everybody knows. It's just, it's an open secret. Yeah. It's an open secret. Krishna is Krishna is all the time present, uh, like a parent waiting, and he's not going to control us or force us. He's desperately wanting our love. It's, he wants he wants us to turn towards him, but he also doesn't want to force us because love is not force. It has to be given voluntary. So he's waiting, waiting. Any indication that we're we might have a glimpse or a flicker of turning towards him. He's right there to uh, give us some encouragement. But we we don't ask for help. We get busy blaming our circumstances and blaming other people and, and not, not uh, taking some ownership on how we have caused our own present circumstance, which is often the case if you really think about how you got to where you are now. Uh, and you forget that actually there's there's someone else with us, he's in our own heart, and he's there as a guide and a comfort. We can actually talk to him, and he's going to talk right back to us if we can open our ears and our hearts and hear what he wants to say. But sometimes what Krishna wants to say to us is not very comfortable. <laughs> we don't like to see that honest piece about ourselves. So, But, yeah, it, it's very encouraging. And sadly, a lot of our homeless people are veterans who've had brain injuries and post-traumatic stress. And, uh, you know, they have serious mental illnesses now and, uh, perhaps almost incapable of, of, uh, being able to utter those words. But still, there's hope. As long as there's life, there's hope. You can't ever say that a person is too fallen or, or mentally ill to get, uh, to get mercy. Uh, there is a wonderful story in one of the books of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's life. I don't know if it was the Ray of Vishnu or there's another one I read where he had a, he had a son from, uh, I believe his first wife who died of, died at a young age, I think of cholera in the cholera epidemic or something. And, um, but he had a son who was about 32 who had a wife and some small children. And he developed suddenly mental illness. It was like overnight. And this went on for, for several months and foaming at the mouth. He was totally delirious. And, you know, eventually the family thought, he's going to die now. He's just so, he's acting so strange. And they didn't have doctors who could interpret it, you know, they know what, what it was. And um, so the family gathered around. Bhakti Notakor had, I think, 10 or 13 children, some daughters, many boys. And uh, they all gathered around the bed thinking this son was going to die. 
And they started to chant and wail and cry for Krishna and, and chanting the holy name. And after some time, as the, the book tells, says, a, a tilak appears on his head. He just, I don't know what that meant. It just is, that's the history. This is something. I don't know if it was a crease in his forehead or the clay showed up. And he opens his eyes and he's back to normal. And he sits up and he says, he says to his family, the reason I, I developed this mental illness was my offense to so and so Brahman down the street. And what brought me back to life was your sincere chanting. That's the power of chanting the holy name. I've never forgotten that story because it gives me so much hope for people who have mental illness. You know, the power of the holy name is just so, so, so great that if we can get people even to chant once sincerely, no matter what their condition is, there's so much hope for them to have transformation. So, yeah. Thank you. So really you're also saying that a lot of uh, the situation people find themselves in, yes, it's, you need to cry out for help, but it's also that you need to uh, take responsibility for your actions that brought you there, even if it, Maybe it isn't something that appears to have happened in this life. I don't know. Uh, you know, people find themselves in all kinds of circumstances. That's true. And we don't know. Sometimes we are so stuck on how we think our life should go. We've made a plan for ourselves. We've, we have this idea how it should go that we can't see that Krishna is trying to show us something else by destroying that option and saying, okay, have you considered this? This is not working over here. Okay, but it has to work. I want it to work, and I'm mad that it's not working. And if it doesn't work my way, then I don't know what to do. I'm angry at everybody. Oh, but what, what, maybe what Krishna wants. Let's ask what Krishna wants. Let's yeah. see what Krishna wants for you. And being open and prayerful and asking, Krishna, what do you want? All right, I give up. All my efforts have been smashed. I, I don't know what to do. Open the right doors, close all the wrong doors, and just show me what to do. I'm ready to do what you want for me now. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to get some new ideas. Give me an idea. Pray for an idea. Mm-hmm. And an idea will come. But we have to be open and really yeah. sincere about wanting to know what does Krishna want for me now. Yeah. And stop. And we go, well, but I want that. And I want it to happen that way. No, Krishna, it's not that Krishna ignores our desires, but he has sometimes a roundabout way of making all our desires come, come true in a way that will greatly manifest, fit us in a way that we couldn't imagine ourselves. Yeah. I, I know that's been true for me. You know, when I've been afraid and I've, I, you know, I know that I have to let go of the reins. And I'm like, but I don't want to. I'm afraid if 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 I surrender to Krishna, then then I'm going to have to do that and that and that and that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so yeah. then I finally make the jump, yeah. and then I realize, oh, Krishna didn't take anything away. He just added so yeah. much more. <laughs> don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so we have about uh, we have about eight minutes left. If anybody has, please give us your insights and reflections. Anything. Take away. I can ask one more thing. Of course. I was really inspired when you are speaking about the chanting and experience. Like how you are telling we can be fully focused and then we want to chant more and more like that. 
Um, that is very inspiring for me to hear uh, so that I can improve my chanting. Uh, I have the experience of the hearing and reading more like that, but not chanting as of now. So I wanted to see if you have anything that you can share also that will help me to improve the chanting. Uh, yeah, well, it starts for me. I can only give my personal experience. It starts for me the night before getting ready to chant good rounds. I know myself. If I don't get to sleep by 8 o'clock, uh, I don't get up in time. You know, I don't get up with a significant amount of time to spend on my hearing and chanting. Sometimes I don't get to bed up at 8 and I get to bed at night. I get a late start and I, I get my chanting done, but I don't get to a deep time of of hearing. I personally, when I get up, I first thing I do is go and wash my face and brush my teeth. I'm living in the basement of my 91-year-old mother, so I can't go up and take a shower and do all of that yet. But I, I, you know, get up and I first start reading. And right now I'm reading the Chaitanya Charitamrita because it gives me so much inspiration on Lord Chaitanya and Nichananda and the mercy and the pastimes of of. Uh, them being in the 15th century and their loving relationships. So I read that because, I read that first because it, it references Bhagavatam and you get all the nectar verses from Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita. So I read that, read it uh, at least an hour. Sometimes I can't put it down once it, it started and it turns into two hours and, and then I, I, wow, I really am flying. And then I, it's easy to chant because now you're just so, so inspired by the association of Lord Chaitanya that you can chant. I have had, as I get older, I've had the problem of sometimes having insomnia. That happens as you get older sometimes. And I'm a vatic body so that sometimes I don't sleep and I can't get to bed till midnight. And so I used to lay in bed trying to sleep because I know I've got to get up. Instead of laying awake at night, I just get up. I figure if I can't sleep, get up and chant. Just use the time. Or I, or I wake up at 11.30 and then I can't sleep till three in the morning. Instead of just laying there, don't waste the time. Get up and chant. So there have been some days when I've I've chanted uh, sixteen rounds, and and then I thought, well, keep going. So I would chant another sixteen rounds. And what I discovered was, I was kind of experimenting with this. Sometimes I've gotten up to fifty, sixty rounds, and and I realized the first sixteen rounds are simply. The first 16 rounds are simply uh, just getting you ready to chant because it, it takes me 16 rounds to clear my consciousness enough to really chant. The second 16 rounds are really better rounds. So uh, you might now, if you're, off, if you're laid off and you're not having to work, you might experiment with a rhythm for yourself. What helps you chant? Of course, the more you chant, the more you will chant. But um, and the more you chant, the deeper it goes. But uh, that—that's my experience. That's what I can share. Yeah, sure, thank you so much. Okay, four minutes left. We have time for one last uh, takeaway. Anything else? Hare Krishna, Mataji. Uh, can you hear me? I can. Uh, yeah, Hare Krishna. Uh, so my name is Kumar. I'm sitting with my family. So mm-hmm. first of all, I would like to thank you so much. Um, it's, it's very good that uh, you did this uh, wonderful conference. Uh, we miss going to the temple every Sunday now. Um, since we could not go there, this is a wonderful opportunity for my family. Me yeah. and my wife, we are sitting here listening to you. It was a very wonderful conversation. I really liked it. 
like the whole topic um so thank you for doing it um so i don't have any other comments but i really appreciate what you're doing so thank you for your service all right thank you so much 3 minutes anybody have a last comment uh what what their takeaway insight something to share everything gets better when we hear from others see on i think henry shokov jyoti soni pimalini nava nobody Okay, well, we'll stop here then. If there's no other questions or comments or reflections, thank you so much.